If you'll stand with me as we read the word of the Lord to us this morning from Psalm 119, starting in verse 121. This is the word of the Lord. I have done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Be surety for your servant for good. Do not let the arrogant oppress me. My eyes fail with longing for your salvation and for your righteous word. Deal with your servant according to your loving kindness and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for they have broken your law. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, yes, above fine gold. Therefore, I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way. Lord, I pray that in the midst of suffering and trial and difficult times, Father, we would be found relying on you, that we would not be found wandering away from our call to serve you with our lives. Cause our commitment to be holy to you. Father, give us ears today to hear your word. Speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Guide my words by your word and your direction. Lord, give me clarity in what I say. Cause my words to be glorifying to you. Lord, pray you would give our children ears to hear this morning, that they too would begin to understand the truths of your word. Father, cause us to be men, women, and children of the truth, and make your word a light in our life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. We took a, a, a portrait view yes, last week of the theme that we've been seeing in Psalm 119 in the last few sermons. Remember, we, especially of late, we've seen this view of meditation on the Word of God and obeying the Word, not just one or the other, that not only do we need to spend time in the Word and thinking about the Word and and meditating on the Word, but we must apply it to our lives. We can't just live as though um, somehow it's going to be like some magic potion that will suddenly, oh wow, this works. No, we must begin to obey. And then we saw that it's not just good enough to meditate and desire to obey, but we actually need to make a commitment to obey. That it's a personal commitment to say, Lord, I love your law, and I'm going to do it. Not, again, in his own strength. And then, as we went even further, we saw two weeks ago, well, three weeks ago, the commitment, I guess it was two, um, but this commitment to a single hearted devotion to the Lord. That we cannot be riding the fence as believers. We're either for the Lord or we're against Him. There's no middle ground. We're either all in or we're all out. We're either slaves or servants, however, whatever word you want to use, or we're slaves and servants of the devil. And the Apostle Paul was that example that we saw last week. Here was a man who was serving, he thought, God, 
by doing what he thought was right. But in reality, he was serving as an enemy of God and an enemy of God's people. And he realized, and we see this in Romans chapter 6, that he was a slave to sin. But when he became a believer in Christ and Christ changed his heart, he became a slave of God to righteousness. And I don't think it's any accident that the psalmist this morning, he transitions from this single-hearted devotion, which is much like the devotion of a slave, right? You, you don't have an option, right? We talked about this last week. When you were a slave, your life belonged to your master. So we kind of see a continuation of this trend, And the psalmist here in the ion section of Psalm 119 begins with a statement. It's interesting. He says, I have done justice and righteousness. I have done justice and righteousness. This is an interesting statement. Why does he start this way? I think we all need to realize that God has done a work in our hearts. He's transformed us. We could not and would not seek to do justice and righteousness without the work of the Holy Spirit in us to awaken us, to regenerate us, to bring us to salvation in Christ. But here, the psalmist, right, he was talking about single-hearted devotion in the last section. And now as a servant of the Most High God, he's saying, I have done these things. He's not saying I've done them on his own. But I think we're seeing in this I.N. section a, a, a duplicity in our Christian walk. Not a two ways, but this idea that not only do, does God need to do a work in us, we need to submit and do a work through the power of His Holy Spirit in our lives. The Christian walk is not just, I'm going to sit back and see what happens. We have to make a commitment to action as believers. And I believe what the psalmist is saying, I am doing these things, Lord. What's the context of him doing justice and righteousness? Perilous times, or as I have titled this message, tumultuous times. What will you do when the times get rough? Well, the psalmist starts saying, I have done justice and righteousness. In the midst of oppression against me, I am continuing to do justice and righteousness. I'm not trying to get the world to to treat me differently. I'm going to continue to do justice and righteousness even if the world treats me wrong. This is not popular in all the rioting and whatever we've experienced in the last few years. Lawlessness is not the solution to injustice. You know why? Because then other people are treated unjustly. It is doing what we as Christians have been called to do, which is to serve God through the power of His Holy Spirit. That will change the world. So the psalmist starts out with, this is what I have done. Again, I don't believe he's saying I've done this in my own strength. We've seen a progression from Psalm 119 verse 1 up until now of him relying on the Lord, asking him for strength, asking him for understanding, to teach him, to to guide him, to direct him. He realizes he has nothing on his own. So this statement is not one of, oh, look at me, I'm doing justice and righteousness, unlike everyone else around me. No, it is a statement of, God, through your power, I have done justice and righteousness. And then I I believe we really see the context of this statement. He says, Do not leave me to my oppressors. 
Don't leave me alone. This idea is, if you literally translate it, it's, do not cause me to come to rest before my oppressors. What is, what's that sound like? It's, don't leave me alone in their presence, because I know what they're going to do. Don't leave me alone when I'm there. When they're mocking me, criti- criticizing me, ridiculing me. Don't leave me alone, Lord. I cannot do it on my own. Remember, I'm your servant. We see servant used in this passage more than I've seen up until this point in Psalm 119. We see servant in 122. We see servant in 124. We see servant in 125. I don't think it's an accident that after he talks about single-minded devotion or single-hearted devotion to the Lord, that he begins talking about being the servant of God. right? Because he says, Do not leave me to my oppressors, but instead be surety for your servant for good. Or lend support to your servant for good. This, this is a very vivid picture of like somebody today, you go to get a loan and you don't have enough collateral, you'll have someone else sign for you. It's that picture. And that's why I can say when he says I've done justice and righteousness, he's saying, I don't have collateral, Lord. I've got nothing. I need you to be surety for my good. I need you to deliver me. So the psalmist realizes that in tumultuous times, he must turn to the Lord. He's going to do everything he knows to do through the power of the Holy Spirit, but in reality, he must turn to the Lord. Makes me think of Isaiah chapter 30. I was just reading this. Isaiah 30. And this, in verse 15, is the Lord speaking to the people of Israel. He says, For thus says the Lord, God, the Holy One of Israel, In repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. He goes on to say that these people of Israel, they weren't willing for that. But what he's saying is, look at me. When you repent, you do what you know to do and rest, like go take a nap. Is that what he's saying? Go take a nap. No, he's saying rest in me. Right? Because then he, he goes on and he says, right after that, in quietness and trust is your strength. How could you, in the midst of the most tumultuous and, and difficult times of your life, be quiet and resting? It's only in trusting in the Lord. You want to be saved? You want to, to see deliverance? Stop turning to the world. Stop turning to everything but God. Repent. Do what God has shown you to do and rely on His Word. Do we look at God as a surety for our good or do we just go to Him when it's hard? That's the only time. Oh, last resort. I tried ten other banks, but now I'm going to this bank. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll help me out. Do we treat God like that, that wealthy family member that we don't like but we would go to because they have money and, and we know they'll sign the loan for us, co-sign the loan for us? Or do we treat Him as the first person we love and we run to Him right out of the gate? 
I don't know if I have any of those kind of family members, but uh, I'm not sure there's lots of money rolling around in either of <laughs> our families. But um, do we truly look to God? Is He really our Master? Are we really serving Him? Because the psalmist is, that's his statement. I've done justice and right. I am serving you, Lord. I'm doing what you said to do. I'm your servant. Now I need you, Lord, to do what you said you would do. Be a surety to me. And he ends verse 22, he says, Do not let the arrogant oppress me. Don't let these prideful men who are turning to their own ways, who are rejecting God, be the ones who win. Don't leave me alone with these men, Lord, these women, whatever, whomever it is. This is a prayer. A prayer of, Lord, don't leave me alone. You promised. Be a surety to me. Be and do what you promised to do. He describes the state of his being in this next verse. In the midst of this oppression and and wondering, Lord, where are you? He says, My eyes fail with longing for your salvation. Or, my eyes languish for your salvation. They they pine away. But not just His salvation. It says, for your righteous word or righteous promise. It's interesting, if you look over in verse 82 of Psalm 119, he uses very similar language. He says, in verse 82, he says, My eyes fail with longing for your word, while I say, when will you comfort me? Right? His, why are his eyes failing? We talked about this when we did the cough section, but his eyes are... are are languishing because he's looking to the Lord. He's, he's, spiritually speaking, looking to the Lord for salvation. He's not looking everywhere else. He's, he's single-heartedly looking at the Lord and saying, Lord, you're the master of my life. I'm your servant. You are all I have. If you don't come through, I'm done. That's what happens. When you become single-heartedly devoted to the Lord... He's all you got. Yes, He provides believers. He provides even through unbelievers. But in reality, God is the answer. He is everything to us. Just like He was to Paul. Do you think Paul enjoyed chilling in prison? I'm sorry, I'm using a little bit more young language. But you think it was, he was just, oh yeah, man, prison's just so much fun. No, he, he wasn't having fun in prison. It wasn't like a party. There weren't people standing at the door to prison waiting to come in like it was a club or something. It wasn't, it wasn't fun. You think he enjoyed being stoned, ridiculed, mocked, run out of every town that he came into because the Jews were jealous? No. And I wouldn't be surprised if he thought through or prayed through verses like these. Every believer struggles. Lord, I I feel like I've done everything You've asked me, but it doesn't seem to be working. My eyes are failing. I feel like I'm not going to be able to see anymore because I'm looking so intently, I don't see anything. It doesn't seem like there's any hope. Made me think of uh, fishing. I don't know 
you like fishing or not, but have you ever fished with a bobber and been staring at a bobber all day? And just like, it's almost, if you're in a boat, you almost fall asleep. Because you're like, come on fish, take a bite. Especially a bad day. If you've ever gone fishing in on a bad day on a boat, I've done it a couple times. One time we were in, at Kentucky Lake and it was like the worst day ever. Just hoping that that fish would take a bite. Just watching that bobber for every little... Oh, that doesn't look like it goes away. Maybe that's a bite. Maybe that's a nibble. And then at that night, you start having dreams of bobbers. Right? Why? Because you're, you're hoping that that bobber is going to go under so you can get a fish. You're, you're, your eyes are failing because you're watching that bobber like your life depends on it. Do we look to the Lord like that? Daily. In each moment. Is His Word truly a promise to us? Do we believe it's a promise to us? Because this, this word that's translated in some versions as word is absolutely promise as well. It's interchangeable. It definitely has this understanding of being a promise. The psalmist's eyes are not failing because he's looking at something that's not a promise. It's because he knows it's a promise. Because he knows it's true that he can look at those words and say, You know what? I can trust that. I can look at that even though it seems like nothing is working. I've done what God has asked me to do. And it seems like my oppressors are winning. It seems like I'm alone in this dungeon. It seems like I'm alone as I'm getting stoned. Or Christians throughout the ages being burned alive or killed. Seeing their children killed in front of their eyes. Can't imagine what it would feel like in comparison to the times that I throw a fit because God hasn't come yet. Hasn't done what I know His Word says is true. Is God our surety? Is His Word the promise that we rely on? When tumultuous times come, will we be found at the feet of the Lord or will we be found running everywhere looking for some other way? Will we be those running to caves and bunkers in the hills hoping that we'll have hope? Will fear rule us or will faith and rest in God define us? The psalmist desires the Lord to be his surety, and he's looking to the Lord to be his surety. But not only that, he cries out to the Lord in verse 124. So not only is he looking and asking the Lord to be surety, he's looking for him to be that, to, to fulfill his word. But in verse 24, 124, he says, Deal with your servant according to... Your law. Is that what he says? Does he say law? No, he says loving kindness. He's not appealing to God's law. He's appealing to God's loving kindness. God's covenant love. This is, again, the word chesed, which is this covenant love that God had for His people. We see his covenant love proclaimed from the beginning of sin in Adam and Eve up until today. Especially in the Old Testament, you see God's mercy and grace, not to people who deserve it, but to people he loves and he's made a covenant to love. The psalmist is saying, don't love me because I've done justice and righteousness. Do it because you love me. Because you told me you love me and you made a covenant with me. Because David realizes 
that covenant with God is unbreakable. Right? You look at Abraham. Was Abraham perfect? Did he he never went to Egypt, right? To to flee famine? Did he do that? Did, did he ever lie about his wife being his sister? Does that sound like something God would do? Do you think he sought the Lord, Lord, what should I do in this famine? Go to Egypt and lie about your sister. No, he, it was because he did not seek the Lord in the midst of famine that he went to Egypt. And even though in that, God preserved him. It shocks me every time I read that story. I'm like, Pharaoh, why didn't you just kill Adam or Abraham once you knew he was lying to you? You know? But Abraham, God was with him, even though he had gone his own way. And he learned, unfortunately, he didn't fully learn his lesson because he came back and he did the same thing with another king that he was afraid would uh, kill him for his wife. But David is not someone who knows, yeah, I'm a perfect person. No, he's saying, Lord, deal with me according to your loving kindness, according to your covenant that does not end. And when you do that, Lord, teach me your statutes. This passage in Psalm 119 was a prompting for a very short little hymn that Charles Wesley penned at one point in his life. He said, Give me not up to Satan's power in this evil day, nor let the world or sin devour its unresisting prey. Why should a soul redeemed by thee be by thy foes oppressed? Jesus, proclaim the captive free and take me to thy breast. Are we turning to the Lord? Are we submitting ourselves to Him as servants, saying, Lord, I can't resist. I can't overcome my enemies. But you are God, and you have committed to love me, and I need you to teach me. I'm your servant. Right? We, we see this servant language. I'm your servant. I belong to you. I've sold myself to you. You are my provider, my protector. That's the idea. When you're a servant, it's the responsibility of the master to provide and protect that person. We forget about that in today's age because of how slavery in the South at times was not humane in any way. It wasn't protecting and it wasn't providing. Not to say that all slaveholders were that way, but when we are servants of God, He has made a covenant with us. And that covenant is unbreakable. He goes on, he says, I am your servant. Again, he's appealing to his the fact that he's a servant. I have committed myself to you. You are the master of my life. I have surrendered all I am to you. When you came, I surrendered. I put up the white flag and surrendered my will to you. I am your servant. What does he cry out for? He says, give me understanding. Give me understanding or or make me understand Calls me to gain insight. So he's continuing, right? He's asking to be taught. He's asking to be given understanding. 
why would he want to be taught? And why would he want to have understanding? Well, see, he says, that I may know your testimonies. That I may know your testimonies. That I could truly know, not just a surface level knowledge of, well, those are the Ten Commandments. This, these are the books of the Bible. This, these are the, this is what the Sermon on the Mount was about. Or, no, in-depth, life-lived knowledge of God. That's what he's desiring. He doesn't just want to know. He wants to know deeply. I can know all the stats for Michael Jordan's basketball career, which I don't, so you know. I could know all those things, but I cannot say I know Michael Jordan. I know a lot about him, but I don't know him personally. The psalmist desires to know the Lord. He's like, you're my master. I, I want to know everything about you. I want to know how I can please you. I want to know how I can live for you. I want to know how I can glorify and honor you because you gave your life for me. Right? Of course, that's a New Testament view. David was looking to the Messiah. But that could be our cry. Lord, I... I want to know you because you are worth it all, just like we sang. You're worth every drop of my blood. You're worth every moment I spend getting to know you. Could you imagine someone saying, oh, man, I love my wife, and then hear that they spend... 365 days a year traveling without their wife. How long do you think their wife would believe that they love them? Wives here, how many of you would believe your husband loved you if you spent 365 days away from them a year? Well, 364, you saw them once a year. We'll give you one... If you, if you experience one day with your husband every year and he said, oh, I love you so much. Oh, I just love you so much. And you're like, well, why didn't you want to be around me? Right? Love wants to be together. It doesn't want to be separated. It's thinking about... Uh, the Keith Green song we sing. The language there of, your face is all I seek. Why? What's the idea of face there? A conversation, a relationship. We've moved to this digital world and Facebook is creating the metaverse where you actually don't have face-to-face Interaction with people, it's all virtual. You can put on whatever mask you wish in this world of the metaverse. You create your avatar and it looks like whatever you want it to look like. If we think that that will lead to good, it's not the way God created us. He created us to be in relationship with one another, to have fellowship with one another. He created us to have fellowship with Him. What broke that? Sin. Right? Sin came, and then our relationship with God was shattered. But God in His grace brought us back to Him. And that is what the psalmist is longing for. He's longing for that relationship of nearness with God. He's seeking the face of God. That's all he seeks. His eyes are, are languishing because he's not only looking to the Lord for salvation, but for relationship. The psalm, psalmist doesn't just want to be saved. He wants to know the Lord. I think often as Christians, 
it's easy to forget that relationship is just as important as salvation from whatever situation we're in. I believe they're both compatible and necessary for our walk with the Lord. We should see His faithfulness to His Word as a psalmist is crying out for. We should desire to see that in our lives. And we should experience that. But we should also experience His presence in the midst of waiting, when we receive, and going forward. That's why when God deals with us with sin, peace comes over us when we deal with it, right? Yesterday I was languishing in bitterness. And when that was dealt with, whether that person receives it or not, peace came over me. I, I felt like there was nowhere to go. Couldn't talk to the Lord. This feeling, to be honest, semi-depressed. I didn't know what it was, but when I figured that out, it was like suddenly that relationship with the Lord, because I had allowed sin to separate me from relationship with Him and with this person, it made it difficult if not impossible, to have that relationship not only with that person, but with the Lord. But the moment that it was dealt with, peace came over me, and I suddenly felt like, okay, Lord, you, you actually, you know, He was speaking to me through the midst of that. I just didn't like the answers. But the peace that came was a grace and a, a work of His loving kindness. From verse 126, I think this is the climax of this section. The psalmist has done all that he can. He's doing all that he knows to do. Not, not trying to work up anything. He's just saying, Lord, I've done justice. I've done righteousness. I've done what you've told me to do. I'm relying on you. Don't leave me alone with my oppressors. Don't leave me in this place. Teach me, Lord. Be my surety. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. And then he says here in verse 126, It is time for the Lord to act. It's interesting, this word translated act is actually the same word as done in verse 121. If you translated this more literally, which is very difficult to understand the grammar, but just, just bear with me momentarily. It is the time of the doing of the Lord. Right? The psalmist did what he needed to do, not in his own strength again. But now the psalmist is saying, it's time for you to act, Lord, because there are lawless men doing whatever they want to do. Right? He says, for they have broken your law. It's time for justice. That's what he's really saying. Well, I've, I've done justice in my life. I am seeking to do righteousness. But God, you alone are just, holy and complete. You alone are righteous. You alone can judge sin. They're saying, God, it's time for you to act. That should be our cry in tumultuous times. God, I've tried, and we should be seeking the Lord. Lord, is there any sin in me? Am I the cause of anything that is going on? But once we have done all that we know to do, then seeking the Lord, it is time for the Lord to do what the Lord alone can do. It's the time 
for him to act. When you read the prophets of the Old Testament, you see they're looking to the Lord. God is bringing justice. God is bringing judgment. But there's hope. You can, you can repent now. Right? If, if you do justice, love mercy, there's hope for you. If you don't, His judgment will fall upon you, just like the people of Isaiah 30. God gave them a pathway away from sin, right? He said, repentant and in, in, in repentance and rest is salvation. But they didn't do that. They weren't willing to. But those who were willing found peace. They found the Lord. They were resting in Him. When the time comes for the Lord to act, whose side will you be on? Will He be your master and you living in His power and His protection? Or will you be on the other side as a lawbreaker doing whatever you want to do? Resting on your own strength. I look at our nation and there's so much going on Sin is rampant. Not sure it's quite Sodom and Gomorrah, but there are, thing, there are definitely pockets of Sodom and Gomorrah in our world, in our, our nation. Who knows what Sodom and Gomorrah would have been if they had the internet. They had the ability to videotape their sexual acts like we do. Who knows how bad it would have been. The question is, are we serving the Lord? Is He our master? Is He our surety? Is He our teacher? Does He teach us understanding? Do we have a covenant relationship with Him? Have we surrendered all that we are to His Lordship. Because if we have not, He's not our Savior. This sounds like a very hard message. Maybe it is. But there's good. The psalmist ends this psalm with some statements in light of all that he said. You know, I've looked to you, Lord. You're my hope. You're my surety. You're my teacher. You're everything. I don't have anything without you. You are it. You're it. He says, therefore, in light of this, I love your commandments. Time out. How many of us are really loving God's commandments when we're being oppressed? I don't, be honest. Right? When I am oppressed, what do I want to do? I want to get up and I want to slug somebody. So watch out. No. <laughs> well, that's, that's my natural tendency. You know, somebody decides that they want to criticize me on social media or criticize me in any way. I just want... If only we could meet in the dark alley where no one knew who I was. (laughs) Right? That's kind of how we feel. 
But the psalmist, in the midst of oppression and, and difficult times, he is saying, I love your commandments. And you're not just saying, you know, I love your commandments. Oh. No, he says, above gold. What? You mean, the psalmist loves the commands of God more than people in this world love gold. Now that is saying a lot. Right? There are people who give their lives in search of hidden treasure. Right? If you remember way back the... I can't remember the guy's name, but the man, the man from uh, New Mexico who hid, his, hid this treasure up in the, the Rockies. And he had a poem. Seems like it was for something. Anyway... I have to go back and find that sermon and remember who the guy is. But just thinking about that, there were literally people who died trying to find this treasure chest. And people want to say, well, it's his fault. No, they chose to go where they did. He made it clear it was not in a very dangerous place. But... Throughout history, men and women have chased what gold promises, right? Power, fame, wealth. Do you think California would be a U.S. state if gold had not been discovered in 49? Probably not. Maybe. But all these people rushed to California because they were Spanish. They weren't, uh, right? So all these people from the east went out west. Why? They were looking for gold. They were looking for fame, luxury. And then when that ran out, where did everybody else rush then? Alaska. Do you think many people would be living in Alaska today if gold had not been found? I doubt it. I mean, I'm sure it's a beautiful place, but I would not want to live 10 months out of the year in winter. But we run with all our lives and hopes and dreams to gold. Do we run to the Lord in the same way? Do we love Him and His commandments so much that we would lay our lives down even if the oppressors win? If we don't see the salvation of the Lord, are we willing to lay our lives down? Because He doesn't just say above gold. He says above fine gold. Now He's not talking about 18 karat here. I don't know what like super fine gold is. Maybe somebody does. But, I mean, we're talking about, I know there's 24 carat. Is there a higher carat? Anybody know? I don't know. I'm not sure how they figure that out. Um, I would make a dad joke, but you would all not laugh. So, <laughs> uh, But all that said, Do we love His commandments like the psalmist does? In the midst of troubling, perilous times. He goes on, Therefore I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything. So he's saying, everything that you say about everything is right. Now, this is not very popular. At least, not in more liberal readings of the Bible. Well, God, God must have messed up there. That, that can't be right. 
The psalmist says, I esteem right. Or we could say, therefore all the precepts of everything I consider to be right. Everything that God says about everything is right. There's no wrong in it. Sounds like he uh, believed in the inerrancy of Scripture. The revelation of God to us. So he loves the commands of the Lord. He believes that they're true in every way. That's why he's, his eyes are fainting, right? Because he's waiting in the Lord because he has nowhere else to turn. He's like, Lord, you're the only one who has truth. You have everything I need. I cannot look anywhere else because I will not find it except in you. Right? Because God's ways are always right. And what does he end with? He says, I hate. Come on. David, hate. You need to tone down your language here. It's just too negative. He says, I hate every false way. Or, I hate all the paths of deceit. I don't like, I don't just dislike these paths. I hate them. I will not be found near them. I will not be walking in them because I have committed with single-hearted devotion to be a servant of the Most High God. He is my Lord. He is my Master. I will live and die in the power of His protection and His strength and His Word. When tumultuous times come in our life, can we say something like that? Can we say, I have trusted the Lord and I have found Him faithful? promise you, He is faithful. Whatever you're going through today may seem like, God, why is this going on? I don't understand this. There's many things that I don't understand.